looking forward to this one. Yeah. So this is obviously Bitcoin Magazine Twitter Spaces. We do these multiple times a week, but today we're going to be talking about the Lightning Network and Federated Chamian Mints and what they mean, what they are, why they're interesting. This is a recorded conversation and it will be released on the Bitcoin Spaces live feed, which you can find on your podcast, whatever podcast app you use. It's also published on YouTube. And yeah, that's basically why we're here and what we're about. So Eric, you've been uh, you've been working on, on Chamian Mints. So can you give us a little bit of your backstory, who you are and why you are interested in, in Chamian Mints? Okay, awesome. Yeah, my background is mostly in computer science and... As such, I had a keen interest in yeah, old eCash schemes. At university, I uh, did a talk about all the development uh, from the beginning in uh, the 80s with Chaum's eCash schemes and right up to Bitcoin and all the amazing stuff like Lightning. And so that's how I like got the idea of being able to integrate uh, all these different ideas. Yeah, and so at some point, I heard about Liquid and Federations. And I was like, why don't we use the federation tech to implement like these old eCash ideas that allow us to have perfect privacy on Bitcoin or perfect privacy in an eCash scheme to yeah, improve Bitcoin. And that's uh, where the idea ca- uh, came from. Very cool. Very cool. Casey, you want to go next? Yeah, sounds good. Uh, yeah, so I am a programmer. I live in the Bay Area. I used to be a, I guess briefly a Bitcoin core developer at Chaincode Labs a long time ago. And like Eric, I'm really interested in pre-Bitcoin forgotten knowledge. A lot of Bitcoiners don't really know about stuff like eCash and other weird systems that existed before Bitcoin. Often they were pretty centralized, but they have interesting properties. And my interest in Chaumi and Mints actually comes being concerned about Lightning Network usability for normies. I think it's likely that stuff like payment failures, difficulty in managing nodes, etc. I think there's going to be real usability challenges there, especially for just normal people. And so I'm very interested in federated Chaumi and Mints because they allow this very nice trade-off where you can have essentially what amounts to a hosted wallet but with some good better security guarantees than if a single actor was hosting that wallet yep so that's where i'm coming from love it love it rindell do you want to i'm assuming you want to stay completely anonymous keep us all in the dark about who you are and what you're about i yeah i'm, I'm a software engineer at least that's what they say i've worked a lot on, I'll call it cryptography engineering. So taking cryptographic primitives and building really big systems out of them. A lot of distributed systems work on really big systems. And I've been talking to people around here and in PlubNet and other events for a little while now about scaling the Lightning Network in kind of two different ways. One of them is the last mile scaling, which Casey talked about a little bit, like how do we have end users get a private and inexpensive and really high throughput experience without having everybody in the world have multiple lightning channels open. I I just don't think that's going to work. And there's a lot of different interesting ideas there. And then another dimension is how do we scale lightning routing? So we've been having a lot of conversations around what would subnetting for, for lightning actually look like. And when the federated Chamian Mints funding was announced by Blockstream, it, it just fell into place for me in my head. This is a really 
interesting new primitive in the toolbox. It comes with some interesting trade-offs, but I think that for the leaf nodes of, of the lightning graph, it's really appealing for a bunch of reasons, and there's a lot of interesting directions that it can go in. So I'm just super excited to be digging into this as like a new primitive that we can use to, to build really interesting stuff on top of lightning. Love it. And finally, Vivek, I'm so glad you decided to join us on stage. I know you've been super busy lately. Can you give everyone a, a brief introduction to who you are and don't undersell yourself or I'll scream? <laughs> sure, sure. Hi, guys. My name is Vivek. I do business development for Blockstream, but I've worn many hats, done some M&A stuff as an analyst back in the day, done lots of uh, consultative sales work. Uh, right now, these days, I'm working with Christian Decker to essentially figure out the product market fit for our green light, a lightning node hosted solution, and also uh, working with Samson and the team on Liquid. I'm happy to be here and just participate and see what cool new federated models we can explore and security guarantees as Casey elaborated on. Love it. So I think the, the most I think the most useful way to go about this is I'd like us to talk about as a group. So this is a free for all. Please, if anyone on stage has something to say or a comment or a thought or a question, just you know jump in and and say it. The first thing I want to do is talk about the specific challenges. I want people to understand exactly what a Chamian Mint is and what it means to have a federated uh, Chamian Mint system as well. So I suspect that the best way to do that is to start by defining the challenges that these systems attempt to solve. So what are the problems that, that exist or that may exist in the future that we can like highlight and then talk about how the system aims to resolve those. Yes. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, sure. Okay, then I think the, the biggest problems Bitcoin is facing or will be facing privacy, which is already a concern, and scalability, which kind of is a concern today, but not as much as I expected to be in the future. Like uh, in the future, I'm thinking of that on-chain usage will essentially be a privilege uh, of very few, unless there's uh, some throughput increase on chain, which always has been contentious, because often comes, if we want to have a um, like major throughput increase, it comes with a um, higher requirement for full nodes, and yeah, that's just that people haven't been comfortable with doing. So I think we are facing a future where for most people doing on-chain transactions isn't all that feasible. Talking about like the majority of people that make less than, let's say, $50 a day, which I think is quite a few people on this planet, and we still want them to be able to participate in Bitcoin. So I think Federated eCash can solve this problem in a sense, right? Having a different trade-off when it comes to trust properties, and yeah, that's one of the ways to put it. Got it. Okay. Privacy and usability. Is that right? Or scalability? Was it scalability or usability? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. Uh, yeah, it. scalability and usability too, kind of, but uh, that's more like, it comes automatically, uh, more centralized solutions. Got it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, like, a lot of times when we talk about scaling Bitcoin, what it really comes down to is how many, you know, transactions can you have before you actually have to touch the blockchain, right? So with Lightning, the idea is 
you do an on-chain transaction to open a channel. I open a channel to Odell. I do as many channel or as many uh, transactions back and forth on that channel as possible. And then eventually at some point in the future, we we do another on-chain transaction to close it. With these two on-chain transactions, we have all of these different payments that can go back and forth. And ideally, you leave your channels open indefinitely. And you're really only using the layer one blockchain as, as like a decentralized cryptographic backed justice system, right? Like in a perfect world, I have all these channels open. I never actually have to go down to the main chain. But if there's, you know, a conflict or a dispute, then we go and we settle up on the blockchain. And that that's great if you have channels open. But if, if you look at kind of the size of a Bitcoin lightning channel open in terms of block weight, and you do the math of uh, a Bitcoin block can have, let's say, 1.3 megs of transactions in it. Channel open is like on the order of 140 V-bytes. You multiply that out, multiply by how many blocks you have in a day, assuming 10-minute blocks. And like the conclusion that you come to is if you wanted to have a billion people in the world all have one channel open, it's going to take three years, right? If, if nobody's doing any other transactions, nobody's closing channels, nobody has two channels, everybody's just opening like one channel. And so the conclusion that you come to, if you do that, is you say, all right, we need to have either like more interesting batching mechanisms to bulk open channels, or you just come to the conclusion that not everybody in the world is going to have a lightning node with a channel open. So one model that you could have is you can have custodial wallet, right? Where you have something like a wallet of Satoshi, where you have an account and they have a very well-connected, well-capitalized node that does all the actual lightning transactions and, and you just have an account balance with them. That's similar to if you're using like Cash App or something, right? Like you can think of Cash App as a Bitcoin scaling layer. It's just very centralized and very closed. And what's cool about Xiaomi and Mint, and, and we should probably take a step back in a minute and talk about what a federated Xiaomi and Mint is, but what's cool about it is it lets you have a, a less centralized, federated custodial solution for a Lightning wallet. So instead of me trusting one company or one party with my Lightning wallet balance and them doing all the Lightning transactions, I can put trust in a federation of different entities that maybe are in different like geopolitical regimes, have them manage a Lightning transactions out to the rest of the network. And then within the Mint, all of my transactions, other people who have accounts there never actually touch Lightning or touch anything else. We're just sending bytes of data back and forth. So it's a way of, if, if you think in the future that this is going to take off, what you can imagine is there's going to be a network connected by Lightning of these different Xiaomi and Mints. You join up to the one that has the, the custodians that you trust or that has the properties or capabilities or semantics that you want. You have an account there. All of the transactions inside of that bank, if you will, are like, fast, as private as they possibly could be, and very secure. And then when you need to move money between these mints, it's over lightning. So that's the big picture. If if this really takes off, you get like crazy good scalability, you get crazy good privacy, and you can still connect to lightning without every person in the world needing a lightning channel. Got it. Got it. Matt, you've been uncharacteristically quiet. Would you add anything to that or to the top of the discussion so far? 
Basically, my TLDR would be creating more accessible Bitcoin privacy in a way that has better trust properties than current custodial wallets, which everyone's already using. Like so many people are using custodial lightning wallets. Yeah, for sure. Or custodial on-chain wallets, which is even worse. I'd also like to add like Rendell made some great points about the scalability about the lightning network and channel opens. Everything in Bitcoin is going towards this like scalable mentality. We've gained some fantastic V-byte efficiency through Taproot and Schnorr signatures. So a lot of this is a similar mindset of not necessarily needing to reveal like the inner details, for example, like the script, like the policy itself, other things like that. So it's uh, usable and a bit more efficient. So it's great. Yeah, Pete, I, I, it might make sense just to take a step back and describe what you know, a fediment is, and then we can, it, it might make more sense for people about where this fits. And, and maybe we can talk about like different applications and problems that it solves. I love it. Let's do it. Do you maybe, Rindell, do you want to give a high level the, your view? And then we can jump to Eric and Casey as, as, as it makes sense to do so. One, one suggestion, maybe we should start with a non-federated Charmian mint first, and then yeah, layer totally. on federation on top, because they're a bit separate and probably confusing to try to digest them both at the same time. I love it. David Chom. I don't know who that is. David Chom is an old school cryptographer. He's still around. Uh, he developed a system called eCash. And I don't have the Wikipedia article in front of me. So this is details are probably wrong. But eCash was a essentially a centralized payment system. I don't remember if people got cards or how it worked, but the idea was that you could pay at merchants for stuff in your daily life with fiat, but it used cryptography, in particular blind signatures, so that every time a user was spending money, the the operator of eCash or DigiCash didn't learn anything about who it was that was like making the purchase. Eric, what is a blind signature? I have heard of Schnorr signatures and ECDSA. What is a blind signature? And is it overlap with those? Yeah, basically a blind signature, a blind signature scheme is a signature scheme that allows the user to acquire a signature on a message without the signer ever learning this message. And normally this, this wouldn't sound too useful because normally if you sign a message or a contract, case of eCash, uh, what you actually use it for is that e each signature has the same value. Let's say each signature is worth $1. Generate a bunch of random messages. And the only property that these messages uh, need to have is they need to be unique. And you can essentially do this by drawing them randomly and having a big enough uh, like a message space to draw from. And then you let the the Xiaomi and Mint blind sign these uh, random messages, give you back the blind signatures, you can unblind these signatures, and now you have uh, like a bunch of just random messages with signatures attached, and each such uh, pair, we can call them eCash tokens, for example, or I think we call them redeem uh, receipts in our blog post. Each one is worth $1. So if I give the Xiaomi and Mint $5 and five of such uh, blinded messages, just random messages, essentially, then I get five such tokens. And I can then spend them anonymously because the bank or the federated the Chaumin Mint never learn. 
if I can jump in really quick, I, when you're thinking about like cryptographic protocols, I think it's really helpful to to think about an analogy, just like using paper and and just like physically passing things around. A, a good metaphor for blind signatures, and I didn't make this up. I'm stealing this from the the Chom paper. Is if anybody remembers like carbon paper. Right. So like you you had two pieces of paper and you'd sign the top one and then you'd lift it up and underneath your signature is like transferred through because there's a layer of like graphite on the bottom of the first paper. So use that when you when like the the utility guy comes to your house and like hooks up your gas and you sign a piece of paper and they like give you the bottom paper. That's like uh, carbon paper. So imagine what Eric is talking about. Imagine that you have these carbon envelopes. And there's like a slip inside of it. And so you have a serial number on a slip of paper and you seal that inside of an envelope and you hand it to the Chaumian Mint. And the Chaumian Mint doesn't know what the serial number is because it's inside this envelope and they sign the envelope and then they hand it back to you. And you can tear the envelope open and pull out the piece of paper. And now- Oh, I think we lost him. I can continue that thought. Yeah, so go for it. The, uh, the bank- the banks, you hand the bank this envelope, and inside of it is this little slip with the serial number, and the bank signs the out, outside of the envelope, essentially, and the bank's signature is transferred to the slip on the inside of the envelope with the serial number, but the bank can't see what that serial number is. So then, let's say this represents like a deposit of $1. So then you leave... And you eventually, you come back later to the bank when you want to spend that dollar and you present it with that signed serial number. But because the bank never saw what that serial number was, it just saw the outside of the envelope that it signed, it can't link that serial number back to the original act of signing. It can't correlate the person who's showing up with some person that it's seen in the past. But it can verify that it produced its signature. It can see it produced that this is the serial number was signed by its private key. And so it can just trust it and be like, okay, I guess this is worth a dollar and let do whatever you want to do, i.e. make a purchase or make an outgoing lightning transfer in the case of a lightning Chamian Mint. Uh, and that's a basic, you show up and you like say you deposit money and it produces one of these blind signatures. You got the serial number and then you show up later and say, hey, I want to do something with some money. And the bank isn't able to correlate those two events because it never saw the serial number that you're presenting later when it originally signed it. Got it. That's a, I haven't heard that before. That's a fantastic metaphor, analogy, whatever the right term is. Yeah, I, I love the idea of I love the idea of somebody showing up to what amounts to a bank and being like, "Hey, you don't know who I am, but check out this signature. Like you made it, so you can trust it." So do what I tell you to do with the amount of money that the signature covers. It's just great. Like customers show up, the bank has no idea who they are, but it's like, I guess I approved their deposit before, so this must be legit. And then they just do what the customer tells them to do. <laughs> so Casey, how did the eCash project end? Does that have anything to do with how the federated model is multiple banks and a bit more better off? So I think that I'm not super familiar with the history, but I think the original eCash implementation, which was called DigiCash, I think it just wasn't popular. It allowed individuals to make private payments. And I don't think that this was something that people really cared about. I don't think it was super popular. I think it did a trial with one bank 
somewhere in America. And I, I should really get the Wikipedia article in front of me so that I know what's going on. But I think it just wasn't uh, it just wasn't popular and it just faded into obscurity. Okay, so back. Yeah, like from what I gathered, like I, I, I wanted to get a reason too because I'm writing a paper about this and it seems like it's really benign. It's just uh, like they ran out of money. They had some test, uh, tests running, I think with Deutsche Bank actually. And they were experimenting with uh, the Xiaomi eCash idea, but as you said, the interest wasn't uh, there. And then also after 9-11, uh, there were some new regulations about AML and KYC laws, and this all happened in parallel. The DigiCash just went, went bankrupt, while at the same time new le legislation came into effect and made it completely uh, impossible to ever run such, such a... like. Chaumin Bank uh, on a legal basis. The key change here is for the first time we have programmable money that is sound, that increases in purchasing power, that you can easily interact with. And one of the coolest parts about Eric's proposal is that it interacts directly with the Lightning Network. So it takes it a step further. Like not only are you are you have this federated model so that the trust in the custodians, any individual custodian is reduced and you have privacy from the custodians so that the custodians can't see all of your transactions and your balances. But you can also directly interact with any other wallet on the Lightning Network seamlessly without any kind of a regulatory approval with banks or anything like that. Yeah, I think that's yeah. really important because DigiCash was regulated. It was like a regulated legal entity. And so it could only do regulated legal entity type stuff, which made it less appealing and less powerful. Yeah, and I, I think like the portability that you get over the Lightning Network is also really cool, right? Like if, if I am in a federated mint that Odell and P and Eric are running, and then I decide that I want to move to a different mint, or I can move everything over Lightning, or I can be in multiple and interact with other services. And one of the things that I'm like really looking forward into the future about is having different mints have different pop policies around what capabilities they support and you being able to just like pick and choose where you want to be spending your money on different things and having that all interoperable over the lightning network is is really amazing right having one chami and mint is cool having an internet of chami and mints all connected by the the lightning network is way cooler Yo, what is going on, plebs? We're going to take a break from our programming to tell you about the resurrection of our print magazine, starting with the El Salvador issue. Starting this fall, Bitcoin Magazine will be available on newsstands nationwide and at retail stores such as Barnes & Noble. Don't want to get off your couch, though? No problem. You can also go to store.bitcoinmagazine.com. So skip the line and get each issue shipped directly to your front door with our annual subscription. I'm talking four issues a year that contain exclusive interviews and profiles with leading Bitcoiners, actionable insights on the state of the market, breaking news and cultural trends, along with powerful photos and artwork from the best artists in the world. Subscribe today and get 21% off using code podcast at checkout. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T, podcast at checkout. The world of crypto can seem like the Wild West sometimes. Soaring highs, crashing lows, celebrity shills, and new coins popping up seemingly out of nowhere every day. Look, we get it because we've been there before. At Bitcoin Magazine, we aim to filter out the noise and help newcomers concentrate on the signal. That's why we focus on Bitcoin only. 
Learning about Bitcoin may seem intimidating at first, but we've worked hard to break things down in a simple and digestible format that anyone can understand. Bitcoin Magazine has launched a free 21-day email course that teaches you about the fundamentals of Bitcoin. You'll receive one new lesson each day that covers a brand new topic as we guide you down the Bitcoin rabbit hole with quick and easy 3-5 minute reads. Not only do you get the free course, but everyone who completes the quiz at the end will earn some free Bitcoin. Start learning and earning Bitcoin today. Visit b.tc forward slash 21 days to enroll. Can I ask a clarifying question? So the description we gave earlier of the envelopes and the carbon copy, that was a description of blind signatures or that was a description of how Chami and Mints work? That was a description of so the, the envelope was blind signatures. Okay, great. That was using that for money is Chami and Mints. Okay, got it. That was where I was I was missing the the connection. So can we just give like a high level summary of what a Chami and Mint is one more time for the audience? And then should we then transition into federated Chami and Mints? That sounds that sounds great. I would say that a, a Chami and Mint is a is essentially a bank that uses blind signatures to unlink deposits and spends. Okay. So if a, a Charmian Mint is a bank that uses blind signatures to unlink deposits and spends, as we've described. Actually, one more question before we go into that. Why would a bank in the current system want to do that? I'm so curious why, I think you said Deutsche Bank was experimenting with this. Why would they want to do that? Because that seems like it would be like against their uh, their interest. It makes sense. I think, that, I, I, I think uh, banks want to do a lot of things, and they want to have the best product possible for their customers, and they want to reduce their liability ah, uh, by knowing customers' balances and transactions and everything. But they're hamstrung by regulation, and they keep getting more and more hamstrung. They, like PayPal is not really a bank, but they're like a neo bank. PayPal doesn't want to block people's accounts. They don't want to lock people's accounts and stop people from using the product. They want as many people to use the product as possible, but they're forced and compelled to do under burdensome regulation. Yeah, totally. I think a great analogy here is like uh, data storage, right? Like it is a, it's expected at this point that if you're using Dropbox, which you shouldn't be using, or iCloud, which you shouldn't be using, or whatever you're using, for, that they basically don't have access to your information. That's a selling point for a lot of these services. It's, oh yeah, no one in our company, it's fully encrypted, client side, no one in our company could even look at your data if they wanted to. And we're already seeing, like with iCloud, the announcement that they're supposedly scanning all of your iCloud photos now to keep everyone safe from child pornography. And the idea that we would hold data providers accountable for that information, I think would be surprising to most. But for some reason with banks, we just accept that, oh yeah, they have to have 100% insight into everything. And the idea that they can keep that totally private is something that everybody has just already, I don't want to say given up on, but acquiesced to. It's also <laughs> the Chamian mint model also just it maps the the analog system onto a digital system really cleanly right what mm -hmm. you end up with these vouchers or these you know tokens they look like paper money right like each one is a uniformly denominated bearer instrument that you can pass around between users and then deposit it at the bank 
right? If, if you're trying to build an electronic cash system, it's a pretty like natural way to model the problem. I, one of the reasons why, and I'm sure we're going to talk about the federated model in a minute, but like one of the downsides with it is that it only works at your bank. And so there, there's a huge kind of centralization risk. Like the bank is a single point of failure, which I think is, is a big reason why Eric's work is so interesting. Sorry, that is an issue with uh, non-federated. Yeah, with non-federated, with the old school one. If I'm trusting Deutsche Bank, then I'm trusting Deutsche Bank. Yep. Yeah, it's almost like wildcat banks from back in the day where every bank had their own currency and they were interoperable only if the bank said that they were interoperable. Like the original Charming Mint's proposal was, it was a trade-off. You had what was essentially perfect privacy, but it came at custodial risk. Yeah. And you didn't have the ability to seamlessly interact. This proposal removes the, or mitigates the two main negatives, which is the custodial risk and the ability to actually transact outside of the mint. Said easily. Yeah, I think the uh, like interaction with other banks wasn't even that much of a problem. But the problem would have been, let's say. The U.S. imposes uh, some rules that U.S. banks may only cooperate with other banks that know their customers. Then if you run a bank with uh, with Xiaomi eCash, then you cannot interact with any of these banks. And that's how like financial regulations are done these days. Like Many of them aren't even laws in all the countries where they apply. But it's just like the most important banks of this world forcing this onto other banks uh, in order for them to be able to actually send money uh, between each other. So that's the, the power of Bitcoin, that you don't have to ask for permission that way. Like you just connect to Lightning Network and now everyone who runs a Lightning node or who is part of such a federated charming bank can just interact with each other. Like no permissions needed. Love it. Okay, so let's transition to so we've defined what a, a Chamian uh, mint is. Let's define what a federated Chamian mint is. Yeah, like on, on, the high, on the highest level of understanding, when we federate some, some entity, then we just uh, split it up into N parts, of which up to a certain number that's called F may be malicious without uh, like functionality of the entire system breaking down. Like, for example, we have this with federated sidechains like Liquid. Oh, sorry. I was just going to repeat that. You said... Eric, would you say that a good... I don't know if it's an analogy, but for Bitcoiners, is instead of just a single-sig custodian, you have basically a multi-sig custodian. You're spreading out the risk. Imagine you have two or three multi-sig wallet. Then you have two risks. Like, you have one risk of just losing your keys... And uh, you mitigate this by having not a three of three, but a two of three. So you may lose one key and you're still, you're still able to um, uh, get your Bitcoins out. And then you have the second risk, which is theft. And you mitigate it by needing two of these three signatures. And so that only if someone manages to steal two of your three keys, then they can actually take your funds. And actually, that's how the like on-chain part of a federated Xiaomi bank is implemented. It's just a multi-sig wallet. Yeah, that's the beauty of Bitcoin. It's the first asset that can actually be held in such a way that only if a certain amount of uh, a certain set of people agrees, then you can transfer funds. That was never possible before. There was always some higher instance, like a bank that uh, could just dictate who owns funds and who doesn't. Got it. Okay. So let's talk about how one implements or what the yeah how does one get from a chamian mint to a federated chamian mint 
in terms of practically? What does that mean? What is the proposal? What does it mean for, how does it, how does the Lightning Network integrate with that? I think it's good to separate out the Lightning Network from, it's irrelevant the what the federated Chaumian Mint does. It just so happens that it's like a particularly appealing really appealing application of federated Chaumian mints to have them make and receive lightning network payments. But in ah, principle, you could have a federated Chaumian mint that did anything. You could have a federated Chaumian mint that had a stash of Beanie Babies. And then when you, you could send it Beanie Babies and then tell it to send out Beanie Babies and have <laughs> Beanie Baby like tokens. Uh, so it, it's like a very ge- general technology. But in the lightning network case, the federal federated Chaumian mint would be making and receiving receiving payments. But the actual federation itself is something I don't know very much about. So I'll let somebody else take those details. So just to be clear, we could, and I love the analogy of Beanie Babies. We should do that just because it would be hilarious. Federated Chaumian mints that the only thing you can exchange is, uh, is Beanie Babies. But so you could do this on chain. It does not necessarily have to be on Lightning. The fact that it is on Lightning is because Lightning is an effective, is an extremely effective way of transmitting money or value. It's, the way that I would frame it, right, is imagine you have a, a Bitcoin federated Shamian Mint, right? So like there's Shamian Mint where I show up to it and I hand it some Bitcoin and it hands me a bunch of these vouchers or tokens that, that represent like well-defined denominations of Bitcoin. And I can hand them to you, P, you can hand them to Odell, and then Odell can redeem them at the mint and get Bitcoin back out. Like that's the thing that you could just go build and you could do that as a, a single custodian Chaumian Mint or you could do it as a federation and that way there's not a single player that can like unilaterally run away with everybody's funds. If, if you were to build that, you can imagine that there are like APIs or like operations or commands that you can issue to the mint. So one command that you can issue to the mint is here's some Bitcoin, give me vouchers. Another command that you can issue at the Mint is, is this voucher valid? Another command that you can issue at the Mint is, uh, redeem this voucher for Bitcoin, right? These are like the commands that you can give to the Mint because the Mint is just a piece of software and it'll do things using either vouchers or Bitcoin. Where this connects to the Lightning Network is imagine if I can take one of my vouchers, my, my payment coupons to the Mint and say, hey, use this to pay this Lightning invoice. And then it, it pays the Lightning invoice on my behalf like using that voucher. Or I say, hey, generate a lightning invoice and then pay me in my like Chaumian Mint tokens. And now other people or myself using another wallet can send payment over the lightning network to the Mint and I've redeemed that payment for for my Chaumian Mint token. So it's less that the Mint is built out of lightning and it's more that if you have a Chaumian Mint implementation that plugs into the Lightning Network, then it, it can interact with the Lightning Network like any other Lightning node. But on, on our side of the Mint, we're passing around these little blobs of data that are redeemable for Bitcoin. Got yeah, it. exactly. I think we should separate the Lightning part from the uh, Federated Charming Mint part. Because like actually, if it's, it's quite uh, separate in the first instantiation. Like There might be some implementation down the road where we actually federate the Lightning node. But for now, like all we do to interact with the Lightning Network is we just have some sort of smart contract in the federated Chaumian Mint that enables trustless Lightning payments, essentially, or Lightning payments in the same trust model as the federation already has, like the federated trust model. And I think we wanted to come back to how would we actually federate a Mint? And that comes down to two parts. Like 
One part is holding up the collateral, which is on-chain, and that's just a good old multisig wallet on Bitcoin. And the second part is the issuance of these eCash tokens. And in a traditional Chowmin uh, Mint, that would be done using some client signature scheme. And for federated uh, Chowmin Mints, we need a threshold client signature scheme. Meaning again, you can think about it uh, like multi-signature for Bitcoin, but for blind signatures. But in the academic world, we call these uh, multi-signatures actually threshold signatures because you need a certain threshold of uh, participants that cooperate with you to generate such a signature. But yeah, essentially it's just a T of N blind signature scheme where like a certain amount of parties in the federation has to be honest and then they can uh, generate these vouchers or these uh, blind signatures. Yeah, and that's the, the two parts uh, you essentially need to federate Chowmin Bank or Chowmin Mint. Like the last last thing maybe to mention is that you still need uh, some consensus algorithm between them, between the federation members. So you actually agree on the right order of transactions because that's the same problem that uh, Bitcoin solved for an open set of validators being miners. But like for a closed set where we know who is a part of the federation or part of the network, this consensus was solved long ago, like in the 80s or 90s, as if I remember correctly. And so we're just using some old uh, tech there to get an order of transactions, which every uh, like financial system needs. Otherwise, you can easily double spend. Got it. Interesting. So... Eric, like this sounds very academic. Is it possible to use Minimint today? And have you used it on anything? Please don't use it right now. Like at least not on mainnet. Please use Rectest or something like that if you want to play. This is how we know. Fun, that, this is how we know you're not a shitcoiner. <laughs> you're like, <laughs> yeah. for the love of God, is, uh, do not like, use this amazing. I build it as a proof of concept. Yeah, no, I just love it. You're like, for the love of God, do not use this amazing thing that I have built. It's not quite ready yet. You should be testing it and breaking it yourself as opposed to being like just floating it onto the ether as a... Just asking you, Eric, in general, I, I think I saw you bought a coffee with it or something. And then also I was wondering if people did want to get involved and contribute, what repo should they look at? Maybe what language should they be familiar with? Any general suggestions? Yeah, what you saw, yes, that I bought a coffee with it at HCPP in Parallelipolis. But what I did there was I actually had a REC test federation running with like completely worthless Bitcoin. But I coupled it to a lightning node, which was actually running on mainnet. So I did atomic swap from my rec, my local REC test network to mainnet Bitcoin, which is a totally insane thing to do unless it's on your own computer. But yeah, so... If you, if people want to contribute, and I had a few people reach out to me, and I don't want to disclose their identities yet because that would force them to commit. But uh, in private, I've been talking to a few people. Like, ideally, some Rust, or like Minimind is written in Rust. And but also, if you're just generally interested and want to improve documentation and all the good stuff, if you just want to play around with it, it's on GitHub. It's uh, github.com slash fediment slash minimind. Or you can also find the link to the GitHub repo at fedimint.org. And uh, there you can just look around. I wrote a little readme that uh, instructs you to set a federation on RecTest. Uh, like you need the installation of Bitcoin Core. And uh, there are some scripts included in the repository that automatically spin up a RecTest network. And then also the Minimint nodes. And then you have a federation of, I think, by default, four nodes running, of which one may, may, be, may be malicious. And... 
And you can just play around with it. It's really unfinished right now. Like there's only a CLI app to interact with it. Yeah. But I'd be super happy about more contributors because that would mean that we can move along more, more quickly. And maybe like my dream is that at, na at the next HCPP in Prague, I might be able to actually buy a coffee with a mainnet federation. That would be awesome. But for now, for the love of God, please don't use it on mainnet. Some flaws uh, in the wallet logic that may make you lose funds. And I don't want it. I couldn't live with that. Yeah. Please don't. Uh yeah, just quick observation. So Redshest, for, for people who don't know, you can run a Bitcoin node in what's called Redshest mode, where it, it just sets up like a private little Bitcoin network and you can mine blocks at will. It's really great for testing. It, they're completely worthless because it's just like blocks that you mine at will on your own laptop. I think it's funny that because you atomic swapped that to the Lightning Network, Redshest running on your laptop is more valuable than half the shit coins that are on uh, Coinbase right now. So good job for that. Other quick point, uh, you mentioned Rust is an awesome language. If folks are looking at contributing to the Bitcoin ecosystem and are looking for a new language to learn, a lot of Bitcoin projects are popping up in Rust right now. Minimint, which we're talking about, if you follow like Sapio, that's all in Rust. There's some cool stuff happening with LDK and Rust Lightning. Learning Rust will let you contribute to a lot of projects that are like up and coming in, in the Bitcoin ecosystem. And then it to Eric's brains. point about, there you go. And then to Eric's point about there's like obvious things that are wrong. Like he, he's done an amazing job working on it so far. There's some stuff that's just like low hanging fruit that if you're a Rust developer, you can jump in and work on. If, if you've done Tokyo networking before, just adding like retries, the networking code and that kind of thing. There's like lots of opportunity to get involved and, and help out with the project. Yeah, definitely. And one thing like the people from some of Bitcoin reached out to me. So if you are like a student at university and want to get into Bitcoin development, then I will be preparing some project proposals for some of Bitcoin. And then you could apply for the 2022 uh, version of it. So that might be a really cool way to get into it because then we'd have like some structured uh, mentoring and stuff like that. If you're interested, uh, just take a look at some of Bitcoin once it's out. Like I will have to write a proposal, uh, multiple project proposals till December. And then I think they will publish at the beginning of the year and uh, people can apply. So that would be awesome. But generally, if you just want to work on the project, contact me. I'm available on Telegram, on Twitter. Like, just reach out. Always happy. Love it. You can, instead of Summer of Code, it can be Summer of Chom. No. Rindell, that was a terrible pun. Yeah. But now that you have a picture in your head of Federated Chomian Mints, right? Like, the model is you go to the Mint and hand them Bitcoin and they give you these eCash tokens and you can hand those to anybody and they can go redeem them for Bitcoin. And then when you plug the Lightning Network into the other side of that, what you can see is, or what I hope you can see, right, is that that's a model where you could have a semi-custodial managed lightning wallet. Build that into Wallet of Satoshi, and now there's not a single custodian that you're trusting with your funds. It's actually a federation. And if you're you know, spending money to other people who have that same wallet, then it doesn't even touch lightning. So it's actually even faster and more private and cheaper, right? That's a pretty cool thing. That's very cool. So... When do we, like, when will the pressure, let's, let, let, like, uh, step into the, the pontificating zone? When You mean the pressure to adopt things like federated exactly. Trump Exactly. Yeah, I think actually we're already facing that pressure. Uh, and, and that pressure is not quite coming from, it's not coming from scaling problems, it's coming from usability problems. Super, super hard to run a 
Lightning Network node. I have a project that I work on that requires people who use who want to use our project to run their own Lightning Network node, and that's like the main the main barrier to getting to onboarding users. Basically, all sorts of non-trivial things. Got to manage your channels. You've got to manage liquidity. You've got to keep your computer online, etc. And yeah, so I mean, all this is. Oh no, go ahead. I, say, I do want to push back slightly. I actually I think you are both correct, and I think that we the, certainly recently it's gotten a lot easier and there are much larger communities of people running their own lightning nodes but i do agree that it is uh, a significant challenge for the average person to go from zero to running their own lightning node though both things like umbral and you well, know raspberry Blitz, and then also i would just say like voltage which basically you can like host your own they will host the lightning node for you but again that is not to say that everything you just said is not 100 accurate because i think it is the average person is not going to be able to just download an application on their on their phone or on their computer and just be yeah. like, I'm running a lightning node. That's where the real advantage is. The real advantage is when we see a mobile wallet that is as easy to use as something like Wallet of Satoshi, yep. but has way better trust properties in terms of custodial risk because it's federated and has insanely good privacy guarantees because of Xiaomi and Mints. Exactly. And it, it'll have better privacy guarantees than pretty much anything we have out there right now, with the trade-off being a slight custodial risk. And you can just install it on your phone. You don't have to run a node. You don't have to know what channels are, and you can interact with the Greater Lightning Network. 100%. It's yeah, basically... And, and to be clear, yeah. like even better privacy than like cryptocurrencies that their only feature is privacy. Like It's real good privacy. Oh, interesting. Wait, wait. Speak more to that for a second. Yeah. So there's just no... Think about an outside observer looking at one of these federated Chamian lightning mints. They see it sending and receiving payments. But there are many users. But that federated mint is acting on behalf of many users. And in the normal case, an outside observer can't tell which payment is being made on behalf of which user. So yep. all the users of the federated mint act as an anonymity set. So this provides extremely good privacy and it means there's absolutely no temporary or permanent footprint that these transactions leave. So how does this come <laughs> spicy well, and, question? And, 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 okay. and, well, and, and then within the mint, like the federation doesn't know what any of the payment activity was because they have no way of linking deposits and withdrawals. So yes, the of operators of the mint can't tell what you're doing and then from outside of the mint all of the transactions are all flowing through this single aggregation point casey said it really well it, it acts as a giant anonymity set right so like the more people use your mint the more anonymous it is because all of the traffic gets merged together going you know in and out of the gateway of the mint and then inside of the mint there's no linkage between transactions and withdrawals there's not a ledger where you can follow all of the transactions. So is this basically like a soup <laughs> in its ideal form? It's like a superior. How does this relate to coin joints? Let's talk about that. I know it doesn't directly relate at all, but like it's, it's like a massive ongoing coin join. Exactly. Like you put, yeah, you transfer into the mint, which is like entering the coin join. And then if you want to get out, you transfer out. And I guess the anonymity set is all the users of the mint and it's also not an on-chain coin join. It's like an off-chain coin join, which adds an additional more privacy. So I expect all the coin join implementations to hate this. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You can think of it more as most a tumbling protocol, actually. Like there are coin join and tumbling in Bitcoin, and like mm. something like Tumblebit uh, comes pretty close, actually, to can what uh, you could achieve with uh, Minimint. Can you reiterate or define the difference between a tumbler and a coin join? 
Okay. A coin join, uh, you have a single transaction with inputs and outputs, and only all the inputs and outputs in this one transaction get mixed. That is your anonymity set. But with tumbling, you have uh, anonymity set over a, a bigger amount of inputs and outputs. Like with Tumblebit, I think you can have a lot of uh, transactions that set up inputs to a big tumbling pool. And then later on, you can take your funds out again. So essentially with Minimint, um, you have the anonymity set of everyone who sent Bitcoins into the Federation ever when you take it out again. Because you can't really tell who already took their Bitcoins out again and who didn't. What is the so trade-off? For- it's really great. What, are the, what is the trade-off for on-chain transactions between a Tumblr and a coin join? Like, why isn't why aren't Tumblrs supported by Samurai and, and all the, the other related? I'm not entirely sure. It's not directly my field of research, but mm. as I understood it so far, like tumbling protocols are more complicated, and I'm not even sure if like Wabi Sabi uh, isn't couldn't be counted as a tumbling protocol because mm. they use some also some blind signature scheme internally. So I'd actually have to look into this again. Are there any non-custodial tumblers? I, I don't think you can. Like you can do a series of coin joins, but like most tumblers are all custodial. I think that's maybe the issue is that we only know how to make custodial tumblers, which are have that you know single party single point of failure problem, mm-hmm. and are also like super illegal, like the most illegal. And when we say illegal, we mean just that. The government doesn't you know, like it. Doesn't like anybody yeah. to have money that they have full control over. It's. I think we've seen specific legal action again by by the state against people running tumblers. Yep. Right. Yeah. It yeah. Is like so- it's. It's. Yeah. It's. It's. Okay. <laughs> if you're a prosecutor and you can't convince a jury that a tumbler is money laundering, then you suck at your job. Right. That's just how it is. It's so crazy to me that the goal of having privacy around your money is something that is even in question as a legal issue. It is, obviously, but and I understand why, but it's just, it's crazy that people are sucked into the the often false narratives around that. So how long do we think before Yellen and all the other related people and agencies are promoting narratives that Federated Chamian Mints not only are trying to destroy Christmas, but also are supporting child eating and cannibalism and all sorts of other terrible things. Honestly, just on that like very specific question, I think we might be good. They don't even really understand how Bitcoin works. Like they don't demonstrate understanding of very simplest concepts. So like having somebody go like up on, I don't know, in front of Congress or whatever and being like federated Chami and lightning mints are a threat to I don't know. I've been consistently surprised by how uncoordinated and uninformed state actors are. Like they they haven't really done anything meaningful against Bitcoin except for some like a sort of unfavorable tax treatment by the IRS. And I'm very specifically against like on-chain transactions and Bitcoin developers and miners and stuff like that. So, I don't know, it'd be surprising to me if they got their act together. Although I guess if one of them, if a federated Lightning Mint was super popular, then yeah, maybe we would start getting some heat. That's well, definitely that's definitely the biggest risk with a proposal like this, federations in general. Especially if they're offering privacy, it, it, it becomes a re- regulatory target. What's really promising to me about this proposal is that it's, you can see it, it it appears that Eric intends to do, and Blockstream with their funding to him, intends to do it in an open source way, a free and open source way. The fact that we could have many such federations doing this 
and they could be located around the world in different places, competing with each other and interacting with each other, makes it way more difficult for that kind of regulatory attack to happen. But I do, I would caution against being too cocky in terms of if it's very public, if it's being done by very obviously obvious regulatory targets that that have, they're based in, they're all based in the same country, stuff like that. They could get hit. Yeah, I agree. As, as soon yeah. as this becomes a the, significant the, thing. The, the great thing about federations, though, is that you don't have to trust the people running the federated German bank fully. Like, you just have to trust them that they won't conspire against you. And that, in my opinion, allows for pseudonymous uh, federations. Like, just imagine we have a bunch of pseudonyms that, that have a reputation they care about, and they come together to form such a federation. And who should be prosecuted? Nobody knows who they are. Like, you can't prosecute and Twitter them. That's just not possible if they do their obsec correctly. So I think even if there was a crackdown, like the federated part would make it still feasible to run such a federation. Especially since if you like only take down one of the nodes, then the federation still runs. You did nothing. Yeah, I was was just going to say, as long as not a signing quorum of your federation all get pinched at the same time, like the federation still operates. And if you start to lose trust in your federation, like maybe your federation people start tweeting crazy shit coinery, then because this is all connected over the lightning node, your your exit cost is really low. Like that's one of the things that really jumped out to me about having these things be connected over lightning is that your switching cost is incredibly low. I think another interesting, like stepping away from the the resistance to nation state story for a minute, another thing that's just really interesting about this model, because it's just software that a couple people have to come together to run together, I think it opens up a lot of really interesting scenarios for community banking. And that could be community banking at like a geographic level or within like your social group. So if we wanted to say on Plebnet, a bunch of plebs get together and run a federated Chamian Mint and people on Plebnet want to use it or not, like, that's great. I live in a town where I'm trying to get some of my local small businesses to to take lightning. We could definitely do a federated Shaman Mint, like, for my town that plugs into the lightning network, right? Like, you can have these things make sense at different levels of social organization, and you can choose the group of people, the, the group of custodians that make sense for you to trust, right? This is the Bitcoin beach model of, you have a, a community bank that you have a Lightning app that that interacts with it on, but you don't have everybody responsible for opening up all their own channels. You can do that for like your community or a community of interest or an internet community, like whatever makes sense to you. You can really mix and match here. It's really interesting. My fellow plebs, the Bitcoin conference is back. Bitcoin 2022, April 6th through the 9th, is the ultimate pilgrimage for the Bitcoin ecosystem. The Bitcoin Conference is the biggest event in all of Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. We're leveling up and making this bigger and better than ever. I'm talking straight to the moon with the four-day-long festival in the heart of Miami at the Miami Beach Convention Center. This has something for everyone. Whether you are a high-powered Bitcoin entrepreneur, a core developer, or a Bitcoin newbie, Bitcoin 2022 is the ultimate place for you to be with your people and celebrate and learn about the Bitcoin culture. So make sure to go to b.tc forward slash conference to lock in your official tickets and use promo code Satoshi for 10% off. Want more off? 
pay in Bitcoin and you'll receive $100 off general admission and $1,000 off whale pass. Those are stackable. So go to b.tc forward slash conference and attend the best conference in Bitcoin history. Yo, my fellow Bitcoin lovers, have I got something specifically curated for you. The Deep Dive is Bitcoin Magazine's premium markets intelligence newsletter. This isn't some paid group shilling buy and sell signals. No, this is a premium Bitcoin analysis led by Dylan LeClaire and his team of analysts. They break down in an easily digestible way what is happening on chain, in the derivatives markets, and in the greater macro backdrop context for Bitcoin. This newsletter turns volatility into a joke. So hit up members.bitcoin.magazine.com and use promo code podcast for 30% off the deep dive. That's members.bitcoinmagazine.com, promo code podcast for 30% off. Divorce your pay group and learn why Bitcoin is the strongest asset by Dylan and LeClaire and his team. Maybe to elaborate on, no, no, go ahead. on the community and banking for just a minute. Like Galore is already doing this with Bitcoin Beach Wallet, but what they did is they went quickly to market, which is great because we needed it now. But what I'm trying to do with Minimint is improve privacy because when you're doing like community banking, you don't want your neighbor to know how much you own. That's really bad. That uh, like It's probably even worse than Coinbase knowing how much you own because such social structures, it's often preferable for your peers not to know how much uh, you make or how much you own. And so in a community banking environment, privacy is even more important. Yeah, I agree. I had maybe a like a obscure technical question for Eric. Let's say that you had a federated Chongqing Mint, and for some reason you didn't trust some of the participants or thought that there was a chance that it was going to fail. Do you think that it would be better to build into the protocol ways of, for example, ejecting members of the federation and voting in new ones? Or do you think people should just use the ease of exit and essentially just transfer all their funds to a another federated Chaumian mint that they trust more, maybe even with some of the old participants. I think that's uh, more or less an engineering trade-off. Like what you're describing is uh, dynamic federations, and that took Blockstream quite a while to uh, figure out for Liquid. And so I think initially I will launch without like this dynamic feature that you can just replace or switch in and out federation members. So. That's just a lot of work. But ideally, you would have this feature because like, the cost of switching isn't all that low, actually. Like On an individual level, it might appear, uh, appear low, but like you still need to rebalance your channels. For If, if all your uh, money flow is outgoing, then that's not optimal. Uh, like Ideally, your federation has some balance of money flow. Otherwise, like in the current model, we have a Lightning Gateway, which is an independent actor of the federation. And the Lightning Gateway would have to repeat it, like actually withdraw Bitcoins from the Federation to then uh, rebalance their channels so they have outgoing capacity again. And uh, I don't think it's optimal to like just migrate in that way. Like It would be a little bit better to be able to throw someone out of the Federation if uh, they are clearly compromised. Interesting. Okay, so where do we go from here in this conversation? We can... Are there specific other topics that we want to talk about? Matt, Vivek, Rindell, 
Eric, Casey, do you want to do we want to do like a round table? We can pull people up and get questions answered. What do y'all think? There's uh let's do it. I would love to hear Shinobi's opinion. Shinobi just came up here. Give us your thoughts, Shinobi. This is epic, and I'd like to know if anybody has talked at all about using the Federated Mints to enforce more complicated smart contracts. <laughs> Dude, that's that yeah, that's literally the fucking hand grenade that I was about to lob into this conversation. Let's <laughs> let's fucking go. Dude, okay, yeah. So this is like my soapbox. The it okay, my in my mind, the final form for Federated Shamian Mints on Lightning Network is that you have them process more interesting smart contract semantics. So imagine I go and set up a Shamian mint where you can upload, I'm just going to say it, like an EVM-compatible smart contract. I don't need to make a shitcoin. Sacrilege. You know what I can do? No, you know what I can do? I can charge you to execute the contract. It's called, I don't know, like pay for execution SaaS, right? Like we've been doing it for years. But if you want to do EVM smart contract shit, you lightning over some SATs to my Chami and Mint, I will execute EVM smart contracts and publish a snark or some other zero knowledge proof in a publicly viewable place that it executed properly. You can do crazy speculative smart contracts with Eric inside of my mint. And then when you decide that you want to do like crazy other smart contracts that only Shinobi's mint supports, you lightning over there and you do it. So we can have this network of these little islands that have different smart contract semantics that have different trade-offs or different guarantees or different semantics. And you can just choose which casino or which <laughs> computer you want to play in, zip yourself over there, do it, and then leave when you're done. And we don't have to push new bullshit into the base layer. We don't have to create new tokens. It's, it's just go wherever has the compute capabilities that you care about. Mind blown. I love the idea of uh, it's like when you go into a like, PvP arena, like in uh, whatever your favorite MMORPG is. <laughs> it's like you go in and it's yes, like these smart contracts will eat your face off. Get ready. Think about That's it. And there's there's no like restriction that would prevent a mint from issuing tokens representing things other than Bitcoin too. So you you can get the entire like ERC twenty type dynamic and interaction with those types of contracting platforms directly in the mint. So how is yeah, that? If, if you're OpenSea and you want to do an OpenSea Chamian Mint, people can go there and do, and then you can leave when you're done. And 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 OpenSea has oh. no control. And you can use single use seals, Rindell, for something representing an NFT instead of just a Chamian token. So that single use seal is actually universally portable to all the different mints out there. It's not just a token issued solely by that mint authority. Wait, but I understand the, the, the premise, but how would that be, I guess I'm trying to wrap my head around why that would be better than, like they could still totally screw everybody out of their shit. Not with that, like a single use seal would be like, imagine I just make a key that represents something mm -hmm. and then I timestamp it with open timestamps. And if I want to give it to you, I sign like a transfer to your public key and timestamp it with open timestamps. And then you keep all of that data, like my original key, the timestamp data, my signature. And let's say you want to go past that to Rindell. You do the same thing. You extend it again and sign his key and timestamp it. And he keeps all the data. And so it's like a little growing mini blockchain 
that is just the representation of this single asset and its ownership team. Yeah, so the, the, that could interact with things like a Chalmian Mint. That could be an atomic part of a smart contract that the Mint is enforcing, interacting with like their native Bitcoin token. Yeah, the, the thing that you need for a single-use seal is... Go ahead, Eric. Possibility of these, let's call it NFTs for the sake of it, is interesting. Not because some uh, wacko artist to publish some apes, but like the one big problem we still face is uh, domain names. And we still need a decentralized, like a really decentralized naming system. And ideally, this would be built on on Bitcoin. So okay. uh, single-use seals, I think that's the main application for it. Like, oh, that's it's, so it's not interesting. Some weird stuff that people are doing on Ethereum. Well, yeah, because like, yeah, the thing that you need to and, make... Oh my gosh, and it was not controlled by some centralized bullshit. And, yeah. Yeah, the, the thing that you need for single-use seals is you need like a proof of publication mechanism, and it turns out we have a really good distributed ledger like underneath all these Shami admins. Which wait, so, which what are you talking about? Which ledger could po- could you possibly be referring to? I, I, the I, answer is always Bitcoin. I, I, I was gonna say something about BSV, but I can't do it. Well, you threw up a little bit in your mouth just even trying, just even <laughs> yeah, thinking about I, it. I, I just asphyxiated on my own vomit thinking about it. But yeah, think about it this way, right? Like you have a world where people can choose the semantics and the you know trust and the different trade-offs that make sense for them, for their use case, their risk tolerance, their application. Those things are interoperable over the Lightning Network. If you decide that you just want to nope out of the whole thing, you can resolve anything down to layer one Bitcoin. And it's all like more private and more scalable than any other cryptocurrency out there. That's the final form of this shit. This is Bitcoin if we don't get channel factories. And it's it's not as cool as channel factories, but it's good enough. Wait, hold on. Back the truck up. What do you mean? What do you mean by this is Bitcoin if we don't get channel factories? How does channel factories address all the stuff we've been talking about? Scalability and the ability to partition things. But my point is, like, if we stop getting more native second layers to Bitcoin, Lightning, the base layer, and Xiaomi and Mint are enough to scale everything. I in see. A private role for everyone. Got it. Got it. Yeah, because I think um, channel factories are super interesting. But coming back to WeMark earlier, like they lack UX, and uh, I think that's what will uh, force them to be something that only power users. You're cutting in and out. This is the most actually, excruciating thing, Eric, my man. I, I I think what he was saying though is that the user experience for channel factories is just real garbage, and it's a lot more complicated than Lightning. So that's a tough thing to get past power users, I, I think, is what he was saying. Like the cool part of this proposal to me, we've been talking about in Bitcoin land, we've been talking about all this time, have privacy that is cheaper than non-private transactions and have privacy that's easier than non-private transactions. And this trade-off balance makes it so that you could just have a mobile wallet where you just load it up with $50 worth of sats and you'll be paying lower fees than anyone who's not using Lightning. You're able to interact with the whole Lightning network, and you have great privacy guarantees at a mitigated custodial risk. Like the, that trade-off balance just seems absolutely fantastic to me. Yeah, it's kind of like if, if I have Strike on my phone and I pay another Strike user, I don't know for sure, but I really doubt they're actually doing a, a Lightning transaction. Like I assume that they're just 
bumping balances because it would be insane to do anything else. And then if I want to pay somebody else that's out on the Lightning Network, then it does a, an honest-to-goodness Lightning transaction. Imagine that, but without the, the single custodial risk and with much better privacy from the custodian. And that's where you land. And I, I think that that's amazing. And then on top of it, something that we haven't really talked about, but I just wanted to touch on, is I think another scaling pressure that Lightning is going to face is the size of the channel graph and being able to like efficiently compute routes over it, especially on like memory constrained devices, right? If everybody in the world has Lightning channels, everybody else in the world, you're not going to be finding efficient routes on your phone. Like it's just not going to happen. And there's different mechanisms that people have been throwing around about the way that we solve this problem on the internet is with route aggregation and, and with having a bunch of smaller networks all aggregated and then routing between larger networks. Like that, that's how internet routing happens. And different people are talking about different mechanisms to do something similar on the Lightning Network. And this very much accomplishes a, sim a similar thing, right? If you say a lot of like mobile users are going to be using their choice of Xiaomi and Mint and then lightning routing needs to happen between these mints, that's a much smaller problem because you've aggregated all of these mobile users down to a single endpoint on the lightning network. And that's a great way of handling the scaling pressure. What else? What else we got? I'm assuming that Eric already discussed the potential for doing like atomic interactions between the mint and lightning. So that either finishes He's a genius. He figured out someone to uh, sell some reg test Bitcoin to atomically <laughs> and buy a coffee. We're not even joking, Shania. Yeah, I convinced myself to do this, so I don't know. <laughs> Strictly speaking, it was a true statement. That's so I had to pay. Yeah. yeah. One thing I was quite dead about is seeing darknet markets like switching to other platforms. And I think we really, as a Bitcoin community, need to figure out how to make Bitcoin good enough for them. Because... Once I hear from one of my friends that they bought drugs on a darknet market with Minimint, then that's when I know I've won. That's what we want to achieve. Make it good <laughs> enough and easy enough to achieve good privacy for people to use it for whatever they want. No questions asked. I could not, but Shinobi does I not agree. I think that, honestly, no, it's, I don't disagree. That would be awesome. I just think that a lot of a lot of that whole dynamic really just comes down to that a lot of darknet market operators are frankly moron. I'm sure those marketplaces are just like copy-paste PHP scripts that get passed around. There's not a lot of actual sound original engineering. And you just have a bunch of people, from my perspective, who are clownishly just like, we keep getting busted because we use Bitcoin like morons instead of looking at things like the Lightning Network. So like that, in my mind, that comes down to people doing things like that are frankly idiots. And they need to be better educated on different ways that they can use Bitcoin more privately. I think, though, that I, I totally agree with you. I think most of the people that are in the situations are not availing themselves of the available information. But I think that we succeed when this is undeniable, right? When the technology just is self-evident and doesn't require someone to, like, someone has to be willfully ignoring the reality in order for them to not use these things. I don't think it's as simple as just it has to be possible. We have quite some latency here. I think especially when we're talking about users of darknet markets, we can't expect them to like know how to use Bitcoin privately. And nowadays, like with Lightning, it's 
really complicated. Setting up a lightning node and taking care that your UTXO that you use for that tumbled or like coin drawing, that's just really complicated. And I think someone who is a stone half of today can't really do it. And I, I really hope that Minimint will be able to support such users and not make them fuck up. That's how we actually get people to use privacy and not by making it complicated. It has to be a super simple and stupid so that even someone on his third joint can just use it. Okay. Otherwise, it won't work. Well, I hear what you're saying, but in the context of darknet market, I don't think the purchaser really needs to be crazy secure and private. Like, you got a decent like light wallet that's not like uh, Phoenix and doing like trampoline routing. Like, it's the merchant and the people receiving payments and selling things that really need to know how to handle their privacy because they're the ones that law enforcement is going after. The kind of like don't care that you bought a bag of weed on that. Yeah, it's kind of, there was that ad campaign where it's like Geico, so easy a caveman can do it. I think what Eric is saying is it's, we need to have privacy preserving Bitcoin so easy that a dumbass who's cargo culting PHP code off of Stack Overflow can do it. Like lightning isn't there <laughs> for better or worse. Like that is not running a lightning node. <laughs> Fair enough. I have a couple of questions for, for Eric, if you guys don't mind. Obviously, I've been very interested in the concept of federations for, for quite a bit. I have, I was wondering, well, first off, maybe you can answer that very quickly. Is there a concept of fees, like coordinator fee, the system is currently designed? There definitely will have to be some fee because it takes some money to just re uh, keep the um, like on-chain wallet operational. Uh, so every time you do a withdraw or deposit, you would probably pay a fee and Ideally, such a federation would also be self-sustainable, so we would probably charge some sort of fee. Yeah, I agree. Good answer. I guess one of my concerns is like we're not exactly reinventing the wheel. Obviously, the showman component is extremely interesting, but this is essentially just another federation, not unlike, obviously, what Luxium and Liquid has. And one of the downside, or actually like one of the issues with that is that we've seen zero uptake uh, in terms of, like, we haven't seen other wallets integrate liquid and there's, it, it feels to me like there's an incentive problem. So hopefully uh, some kind of like fee sharing or fee revenue can address that to a certain extent. My other question is in terms of obviously incentivizing the members of the federation, was there any, any thought given ever to maybe requiring time-locked fidelity bonds for those members? To the first question, like, I think the big difference between Liquid and the way the Xiaomi uh, Mint is that the federated Xiaomi Mint can use Lightning. And everywhere where light Lightning is accepted, uh, then you can use your uh, Mint token. But with Liquid, it's actually something quite different. There isn't the infrastructure to uh, seamlessly use it uh, with, for example, Lightning. So that's a big difference. So, so sorry, let me just jump on that real quick. So what you're saying is that basically by the Xiaomi Ming being integrated with Lightning, any Lightning wallet is automatically inter interoperable with, with the Xiaomi Mint. Yeah, exactly. So it becomes a choice of the user because with Liquid, it's actually a choice of the user <coughs> and the merchant together. Uh, yeah. Because without the merchant choosing to use Liquid, the user can't do it. And like federated uh, means, then it's just user's choice. And if we build a good enough product, they will come. It's just another lightning wallet. But then the wallet would still have, to, would the wallet need to know that this this Bitcoin, like the UX would have to account that the Bitcoin is from the Xiaomi Mint or, or not? Yeah, you'd have, to, uh, you'd have specialized federated mint wallets. Ideally, we, we could have a standard that like every mint speaks the same protocol essentially. And then you have some wallet that supports all the way the Xiaomi mints out there. 
And but your recipient doesn't need to know about that you're using a federated German Mint wallet. They don't care. They just give you a Lightning invoice, and you give that to your to your Mint. And uh, then this your Mint wallet instructs your local federation uh, to pay the Lightning invoice. That's how it right. should work. Okay, but then the sender does need to use a uh, Mint specific wallet. Certainly, yeah, but not specific to a, a specific federation, but just yeah, yeah. to the Mint protocol. Okay, cool. Made me think of something, Alex. If you don't uh, mind me cutting in real quick, um, like, have you considered at all, Eric, support for pseudonymous accounts, just so that you have a kind of safer way for users to hold long-term balances in the event of a key rotation, so that the main spend table doesn't just keep growing to infinity. Yeah, definitely. Like the accounts thing is a natural addition because I'm already using a smart contractable accounts uh, like what you were discussing. I already need smart contracts in the Federation to integrate Lightning. So it's just a natural like next step to enable users to have accounts with arbitrary uh, smart contract capability, like not just some Lightning integration special smart contract. And that would allow certain interesting things like you could think about the Charmin eCash as your spending account, your checking account, and the like pseudonymous uh, account in, inside the federation, which might be locked by a two of three multisig or just some uh, conventional key script. That's your saving account. And because with the Charmin eCash, you have the problem, uh, you can't really back, up, back it up because with every spend, your set of coins, your own changes, and it would be really cumbersome to always back them up. So currently, I'm thinking that if you lose your wallet or if you lose your phone, you lose the eCash inside it. But if you have this checking account, which is just like a pseudonymous account locked by some sort of script that you can keep. That's uh, easy to back up. Uh, you just need to uh, back up a private key, which we all know how to do by now. So that's definitely uh, planned. And a second interesting thought I, I got from discussing this with Obi, that the federation, in the federated trust model, you can easily have oracles because like the federation members, you trust them anyway. So why not let them act as oracles? And that would allow you to build a smart contract for these accounts that says if someone convinces enough federation members that, for example, you died, then your legal hire can get access to these funds. Uh, like he was thinking about like non-technical communities that don't really know how to do inheritance on Bitcoin or stuff like that. And there this might actually be a good way to implement it. Just if you have community banking, why not use your like a social structure of your community to also ensure that like you can inherit properly without needing a lot of technical knowledge about it. I'm going to wind us down. We are, we're currently over time and I want to be respectful of everybody's time. Is there anything that we want to close out on or touch on before we wind down and go around and give a... Eric, did you tell us when we should expect a mobile wallet on on available for Android at least? No, not really, because uh, I can't really give ads something, but it's my like dream weeks? is to have it ready for next HCP you told me 72, next, next October. You told me 72 hours before the call. <laughs> Time is of the essence, Eric. Yeah, right. Let's oh. get to it. <laughs> so, yeah. like, uh, currently, there's still a lot of work to be done on the back end, uh, so the content has been quite neglected. But if we get people uh, that are interested in front-end stuff, go ahead yeah. and yeah. please. So the, the correct response to that question is patches welcome. Yeah, so everyone in the audience, right, this is an incredibly important and interesting technology that we're talking about here. 
there is, and people are always like, oh man, I don't know how to get involved in Bitcoin as a software engineer or as a human. This is a call to action. Reach out to Eric. If you're a software engineer and you want to get involved with sound money and the technology that's going to drive the future, this is your chance. Hit up Eric. If you have time for a really quick question. Go for it, Nesky. Yeah, thanks, uh, thanks for the invite. Congrats on Taproot. Uh, so the question is that, is there such a thing <laughs> as, a, as a typical lifetime of a Xiaomi Mint token? Or is it really depends on the... That would be uh, defined by the federation. Because I think someone, I don't remember who was it, maybe Shinobi, uh, mentioned that like you have this list of spent tokens and that just keeps growing. Uh, so in most implementations, you say after some time, you invalidate old tokens that are signed with old keys and you force people to roll over their funds um, into a new uh, key set, just get them reissued with new keys. And uh, that's how you keep the um, list of spent coins from growing, uh, growing indefinitely. But yeah, that's up to debate with the Federation. Make it a year, make it two years, I don't know. There's no real uh, right answer for that. But there might be some lifetime to these tokens. Okay, got it, thanks. Real quick, Fidelity bonds. <laughs> I don't know if it makes sense, uh, because uh, to actually incentivize good behavior, they need to be quite big. That would make uh, such a federation less capital efficient. Uh, like your cost of capital would go way up. And like maybe one thing they would be good for is to incentivize people to actually stay online. And uh, if, they're, if they go offline, then you could have a penalty. Like that wouldn't be a fidelity bond, but you could have uh, some amount uh, that they need to deposit, and in case they're offline, then um, that goes to a common fund and gets redistributed. So they actually have incentive to stay online because that might be a problem if uh, people don't make enough money from it. They might not neglect node maintenance. So, yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. It looks like we lost... Oh, no, Casey, you're still there. Okay, it's not happening. We're not letting you end it. No, no, look, we're gonna we're winding down. This is the go gently into that to that good night. Uh, Casey, this is the last, yeah. the last two, please. No, Casey, is there anything that you want to you want to speak to? She'll jump in here about anything we've been talking about so far, or anything else that you're yeah. working on? Yeah, I don't know. I guess I'll just shill the project I'm working on. It's called Agora. It lets you sell shit online for Lightning Network. Yes. You just put it on. A, you put your data on a server. And then you can sell it. It's like really simple. Like you just be like, hey, you want to buy this PDF? It'll be like a thousand sats. And then people pay you a thousand sats and then you download the PDF. I'm thinking about starting a meme. This is like the real Bitcoin NFT, but I think it's maybe just too dumb of a meme. But so, yeah, I guess maybe the non shilly thing that I'll say is that that's yeah. agora.download. You That's right. That is, correctly. That is it is agora.download and it is also github.com slash agora dash org slash agora. Yeah. Thanks for the shilling tips, bro. Yeah. But yeah, 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 yeah. Federation soon. Two weeks. Seventy-two hours, definitely. But I guess like I, I thought, which is that I think we should be watching Lightning Network usability and doing all we can to both make it more usable and to get users onto less centralized services. And I think maybe a little bit of pessimism is good in the sense of not just assuming every problem with Lightning Network usability will just be solved and fall into place. I think there's a lot of tricky stuff there and should be keeping an eye on it. That's what I'll leave everybody with. I love it. Matt, is there anything you want to shill, speak to, mention? I just wanted to thank Eric. I'm super excited about your project and I was just fucking around with the timeline. I'm willing to wait. And I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. This has been an amazing conversation, Eric. Also, thank you so much for joining. Casey, thank you so much for joining. I, I 
posted a Casey's blog post at the top in the nest, which you should all check out. It's a really good, like very high level overview of some of the stuff we've been talking about and what Federated Chamean Mints are and why they're awesome. Follow both of them. This is definitely one of the more exciting things that is happening in Bitcoin, in my opinion, at the moment. I think there's a lot of, everybody's excited about Taproot, which is fucking awesome and really exciting. But there's also these sort of like unsung heroes that are also working on this stuff and writing about it. And uh, it's part of the future. I also am, of course, going to shill the conference. If you do not already have a ticket for Bitcoin 2022, it is going to be absolutely incredible. Matt and I are working very closely on the open source stage. There's going to be discussions like this one, other topics, more that you should definitely partake in. It's it's also going to be a spectacular. Me and have only disagreed on one thing so far. That's true. That's true. And I will die on that hill, which is, I argue that cold card is the thing that uh, is the coolest part of the CoinKite lineup. And Matt O'Dell argues that it is open dime. And we have come to blows on it several times. Hey, so P, uh, you, you, you skipped me when it came to shilling things. I just um, assume that if, since your face changes every other day and your name is Rindal, that you would not want to shill something. But I apologize profoundly and profusely. Give us your shill. So here's a shill. Everybody, if, if you are excited about things happening in the Bitcoin ecosystem, or if you're not excited about things happening in the Bitcoin ecosystem, you can contribute. There's lots of awesome open source projects like Minimint or Bitcoin Core or your favorite wallet software. And all of them are looking for more contributions. They're all looking for people to test things, work on documentation, submit patches. So you can go and get involved. Every open source project that's out, not every, many open source projects that are out there are very excited to have new people come and help. You can go and ask, what's a good bug for me to work on? And people will not only give you a good bug, that's like easy and straightforward to figure out, but they'll work with you on how to fix it and learn the code base. Or if you want to write better documentation, they'll help you get a test environment set up. Like having maintained open source projects before, if somebody shows up and wants to help, a lot of open source maintainers will bend over backwards to, to make sure that you have a good kind of onboarding experience because contributions are what make the world go round. If you want to learn Rust to work on Minimint or Sapio or LDK or any of these other projects, just Google the Rust book. It's really high quality, easy to read. Highly recommend it. It doesn't really matter what your level of experience is. There's some way that you can contribute to open source. Absolutely. And I'll go even further, which is you do not actually have to be a software engineer in order to contribute massively to open source projects. The thing that is in the the thing that is in the most finite supply is people who are interested and willing to write documentation or to proofread documentation. So if you want to get deeply involved and be someone who, you know, is a force multiplier and you are willing to figure out how these projects work or how to run your own Minimint or any of the other projects that you might be involved in, Go, and if you don't have to be a software engineer, go read through the documentation, go take a tutorial on how to submit a GitHub pull request, and you can absolutely be a contributor to even Bitcoin Core and all these other projects, and your contributions will be worshipped and appreciated forever. Because documentation is the last thing that most software engineers write, and uh, many projects today have no documentation or broken documentation because it's just, there's just not enough time. On that note, oh, one other thing I forgot to say, if you don't have a ticket and you want to buy one for Bitcoin 2022, code uh, have fun poor. that is the actual promo code is HFSP, will save you 10% on your ticket. Go forth.
Adios. Thanks a lot for having me. And if anyone wants to meet me, I'm at Adopting Bitcoin currently. So just come by and say hi. So. Cheers. All right. Thanks again, guys.